all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any health care issues or questions that you might have. Maybe it's a new medication, new symptom, uh, just something that's bothering you about a uh, diagnosis maybe that you already have. You Feel free to contact us this morning and we'll try to get you the answers that you're looking for. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. A little bit of colder weather. This is actually the shortest day of the year. So just as a reminder to everybody, it's uh, probably this is uh, the time that I, I suffer from a little bit of seasonal affective disorder, and I am really happy moving forward from December 21st uh, because we have more light uh, every day, just a couple of minutes. So, uh, But that's uh, the shortest day of the year, So, uh, and right before Christmas. I hope everybody is... Uh, is doing all the the normal things in a way that gives you joy in what you do. Some I would uh, challenge you to really think about that and uh, consider the things that you do so that uh, you don't become overwhelmed with those. The I believe we have a, a caller already on the line. We're going to go to Fletch, who is from Ridgeland, I believe. Good morning, Fletch. Good morning. Thank you. Sure. Um, question: uh, Had my second COVID shot in February. Um, what's your thoughts, recommendations on an antibody test prior to getting a booster shot to determine the need? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and it's one that comes up, you know, frequently. You know, the antibody tests were at one time as we were sort of developing what's the best immunity patterns to have for different for the different strains. It was very common to get those, and we you can still get those um, sort of a tighter. So one thing to keep in mind that immunity is very complex, and it's not just about antibodies, although antibodies are really the first line of defense, particularly against a virus like the, the COVID-19 uh, virus. So, um, But the, the level of antibodies is a general way to sort of say, okay, you at least have antibodies. How does that look with actually getting, uh, contracting the virus? And you do have to sort of follow these variants from variant to variant. What we've known from the first, the alpha, the beta, and then now the, uh, the delta was the last one, and now we're seeing Omicron. With the previous three, there was a pretty good protection with a higher antibody level. 
And that sort of played out both with if you got COVID before, were you protected from getting it? And what we saw was about six months with somebody who has a normal immunity. In other words, they're not taking medications that make their immunity go down. They're not, um, you know, they don't have a lot of other chronic illnesses that we know affect the immunity those people did fairly well in protection up to about six months. Same thing with vaccines. So about six to eight months um, is about the time period. One difference this time around with Omicron, and Omicron's here. We've got it in the state, and certainly it's a, it's becoming very quickly the predominant strain. Uh, it looks like it's probably going to be uh, the biggest thing that we deal with for about the next month. Um, a couple of things that what we know about it and from other places in the world that it's already been is that it's uh, twice as easy to get as um, as the Delta variant. It doesn't seem to be uh, quite as, um, you know, quite as bad as far as the side effects. But if you do, if you're at risk, those people are still at risk for going to the hospital or, or worse. Um, but back to the question, would that help? With this particular variant, probably not. Um, we, you know, getting the third dose of vaccine is probably the best thing. Even if you got your antibodies and they were higher, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're not going to, uh, that, that you are going to be protected against getting the Omicron variant. Um, so sometimes you have to look at the lab data and then compare it to what you actually see in the world, which is, even in those people who had, um, you know, who have had the coronavirus, um, Omicron seems to just sort of roll right through them. The people who were best protected are the ones who got all three vaccines. Um, Real-world data, particularly on Pfizer, is that if you got two vaccines, um, that you had about a 50-50 chance of getting Omicron variant when you're exposed to it. If you get a third vaccine, that goes up to 75%. And if you do get it, it's much, much, if you do contract the, the virus, it's a much, much lower risk of some of those complications. So it is a complex science, and it's one that we have to look at real what's happening in the real world when people get it and they are vaccinated or they have had a previous infection with coronavirus. And then sometimes the lab is helpful. I think it was probably helpful in, you know, with the particularly the first two waves to sort of gauge that. Not so much with with Omicron though. So um, I would, I, what I'm encouraging my patients, if you got two vaccines and if you're particularly if you're more than about six months out from the second one, go ahead and uh, I would go ahead and get the third vaccine. Good deal. I appreciate that, Mayor Chris. All right. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions about anything. Uh, can be any topic that you've been uh, been wanting to ask a question about. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. A lot of people will say, you know, I caught the last half of your program. Didn't really catch the first half. I wish I could go back and listen to it. Well, good news, you can. That's our Christmas present for the morning for you. You can go to mpbonline.org and search for our archive programs. Just search for Southern Remedy. Or you can actually get a podcast of those and uh, listen to them at your leisure whenever the best time. Maybe it's uh, going to and fro, fro from work. Um, you can add that to your podcast podcast list and listening to those uh, to keep up with the, with the full program. 
Um, you know, I, another question we get frequently from patients, and I got this a little bit this week. I think, you know, everybody, when you put things on hold for different reasons, and this can be anything in life, maybe there's a an illness in the family that causes uh, causes you to have to take care of a family member and you sort of put your own health care on hold, Um you know, from time to time that happens, but when it gets delayed for long periods of time, particularly in individuals that are at high risk for things, don't forget about that. And uh, just because you've been doing well maybe for a year or two doesn't mean you shouldn't get checked back up with your physician or your healthcare provider about, uh, you know, your blood pressure, your risk for diabetes, your risk for various cancers. Um, we have a lot of good screening techniques. We know if we catch things early, we're much, much more able to deal with those um, and to treat those and to do things and interventions that uh, than if you wait till later. So I would encourage everybody to do that. I know it's super easy just to roll on with your life, and certainly psychologically, we're all I think at the point where we want to roll on and get get back to doing some things that we did uh, back uh, before uh, COVID uh, knocked on our door. So um, just keep that in mind too, though, that your health is very important. Important and certainly preventive medicine, which I've done in one form or fashion for you know for now 20 years, that's something that's very important. And have some great stories from my own patients where you know maybe they were a little bit on the fence of getting a colonoscopy, or they were um, a little bit on the fence of treating their hypertension, and they were able to uh, to catch things early uh, through treatment or through screenings and uh, and delayed some of the bad side effects of that. So just keep that in mind. It's a, it's a good time just to touch base. There's, you know, a lot of people do rush from time to time to get into the physician's office to get things sort of checked off their list. But um, think about that the whole year. Um, if you want to enjoy the things uh, that you have planned, then it just makes sense to go ahead and take care of your health. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know we don't have a lot of um, a lot of cold weather in Mississippi, but we do have reasons to plan for it. In other words, we uh, you know if you find this uh, up north and with heat waves, they may not be as uh, accustomed to having a lot of heat-related problems and don't plan for it. Same thing in the South. We don't have a lot of cold weather, but when we do, it can cause a lot of problems. Our infrastructure in the state is uh, maybe not the same as is up north, so we deal with problems of lack of water through busted pipes or lack of electricity. So plan ahead right now for that. I know we've we've had some exceptionally warm weather for uh, in the south for December, but uh, a couple of cold snaps, but nothing really severe yet. So just uh, keep that in mind and go ahead and plan for that. It's a good time to to check out those uh, batteries and various devices, particularly lights and uh, those kinds of things, and to uh, flashlights and. Uh, go ahead and and uh, check those and uh, uh, change those out. So one of the main things that we do when we uh, screen children is look for different developmental patterns in their life. You know, a lot of parents will say, you know, I really think that that uh, that little Johnny doesn't uh, he may not have uh, the same. Uh, 
uh, why does he need to come in, you know, yearly for his for his annual checkup? There are some very subtle things, both physically, emotionally, and socially, that can arise even if your child's been normal for five to seven years of their life. Um, at each visit, we actually have a little checklist that we go by to make sure that we ask those questions and that uh, maybe at some offices you've actually filled those questions out yourself as a parent uh, or as a caregiver for your child. So uh, just keep that in mind, too, that if you have that appointment coming up for your for your son or daughter or grandchild, you know, that's that's an important thing to really make sure that everything is progressing appropriately and that there's not uh, any kind of things that we can pick up on that early that uh, that we need to intervene on. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Coach Charlie Melton, and I want to help steer you in the right direction. If you need coaching on fixing up your automobile, listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect, found on all podcasting platforms. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of healthcare topic that might be near and dear to you right now. You can give us a call this morning for those questions. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Helen, who's been patiently waiting from Gulfport. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Hello. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, my husband was recently diagnosed with a hernia. I'm going to say it's an inguinal hernia. That's the one where it's in the groin. Right. Uh, where there's a bulging. Anyway, it seems fairly minor. Uh, of course, it, I'm not the one carrying it around. <laughs> he is. Uh, and so he went and saw a urologist that he's seen because he's got a history of other things. And then he was referred to a general surgeon if he chose to because the urologist told him he did not need to really worry much about it. He could do anything he wished to do. If it got worse, then whatever. So my husband is a very anxious type of person, so he did go to see this surgeon who also did not seem to feel it was over. It's certainly not emergent. Um, But at any rate, um, he said, I can do surgery if you wish. I don't have to. So my husband is, it's just, he's obsessing with it. And I just wanted to kind of hear what your thoughts are. Um, I mean, he's not really having any pain. He knows it's there because he can look down and see a tiny bulging or he can feel the tiny bulging. But um, should he, should he not face up with the doctors? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So a hernia is a, so we have these layers of muscle and tissue in our abdominal wall and in, in different places. And and you're right, that the hernia most people talk about is an inguinal hernia. That's where sort of close to where your leg attaches to your torso. And it is a weakness in that wall, usually genetic from birth um, or developed over time through weaknesses. There are certain things that can make put you at risk for it, like increased pressure in the in the interior of the abdomen sometimes if you're uh you know if you lift a lot of things repetitively it can ex- sort of expose those weaknesses in the wall and over time that that little hole in there and it's not a complete hole it's not a hole to the outside but it's a hole in those tissues that help hold all those abdominal contents in and you can have, you know, a, a fat and, and skin over the top of it, but you usually can feel it. In fact, that's the the main way, you know, in the doctor's offices that we uh, that we we can look at this. Sometimes they'll use ultrasound if it's smaller, or or even a CT scan. But um, most of the time, those are elective procedures. Those are things that you can put off, and it really has to do with the size of the opening. And if there's a risk of any uh, abdominal contents coming through that little opening and getting trapped in there and losing their blood supply. So uh, although that is a small risk for most people, if it's if it's of a size that's concerning, which is probably what his urologist and his general surgeon have assessed that and said, you know, it's probably we can wait on this. It's not a big deal. Um that that's really the things that determine you know if you need to do anything about it there are some some warning signs with that if you have uh usually it's a soft little indentation and you can sort of put your finger on it and push push down and it's that's what we call reducible even if it sort of bulges out if we can sort of gently push that back down into the abdomen that's that's okay um, but if it ever becomes hard or if it becomes intensely painful or if you have a change in your bowels, those are all um, warning signs that you need to get you know need to get it looked at really quick. But I would say if he's that concerned about it, depending on what his other risk is for surgery, it is a very low risk surgery. Um, there are a couple of different ways that they can do it. They can do it the old-fashioned way, uh, where they uh, make an incision and uh, you know sort of oversew those layers. Sometimes they'll put some material in there to to shore up that wall, or they can do it laparoscopically, where they make some smaller incisions and with a scope from the inside repair it. Um, but both of those things are elective surgeries. Usually that's a same-day surgery. It's not something you would have to stay overnight at the hospital unless your overall risk is a little bit higher. So if he's worrying that much about it, I mean, I, I think it's probably low risk, particularly if two different surgeons have told him that. But if he is worrying that much about it and it's causing him to lose sleep or, or not do some of the things that he wants to do, uh, I might go back to the surgeon and just say, "Hey, I think I think I'm ready for to fix this. What do you think about doing it?" But really, it's a it's a in most cases less than an hour procedure. Uh, you're in and out. I've actually had had the surgery myself, and uh, I think I went to the hospital at six and I was home by eleven. So um, it's it's a fairly um, uh, fairly low risk surgery to have. Well, yeah, and that's what I mean. He of course asked the surgeon, are there any risk factors? He says, well, yeah, I could perforate the colon. Or So then he's like, oh, my God. I said, okay, he is a healthy man. He's 72, but he's very healthy. He goes yeah. to the gym. He walks. He lifts weights. 
Um, he works out in the yard like a crazy man um, at times. Um, so I, I think he would do fine with surgery. Uh, the doctor said it'd be a two to three week recovery period. Um, and of course it'd be same day surgery. The only limitation that particular day is he'd have to be able to urinate before he left the hospital right? right. Uh, or wherever, or the surgery center or whatever he's going to do. But I was just trying to kind of get just a thought on somebody else's opinion. I didn't get to go with him to the appointment. So, um, thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's a, you know, uh, any kind of elective surgery, it's always sort of a balancing act between risk and benefit. And, um, you know, a good surgeon is going to tell you every possible risk factor that could happen, even if it's less than a 1% chance that it's going to happen, because you just never know. Um, but I, you know, it's, it is, it is one of the most common and one of the most low risk surgeries, uh, as long as there's, there aren't any other complications. And probably at his age, even though he's healthy, they'll have, they'll definitely have an anesthesiologist to sort of assess his risk before surgery and make sure there, there wouldn't be any potential problems. Sure. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, Helen, you take care and have a good day. Let's go to David from Horn Lake next. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I got sure. a question about uh, CBD oil. I want to. Oh. I'd like to know if there's been any double-blind placebo studies to find out whether or not it's really beneficial and uh, and the dosage, and um, also whether or not CBD oil has any bad interactions with prescribed prescription drugs. Because I got a family member that is convinced that uh, CBD oil will turn coal into gold. It's kind of like the Wild West and the snake oil sales. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, you know, from time to time you find things that uh, either if they're, you know, touted as, as natural products or, or a new medication as sort of curing everything, sort of an uber pill or uber uh, substance that you take. And certainly CBD has been hot on, in the press. And and medicinal marijuana. So what we know right now, you mentioned a, a couple of types of studies that other people may not be as familiar with. A, um, a double-blind placebo-controlled trial is one where you, you basically have a population of people, let's say it's 100 people, and you randomly select 50% uh, uh, of those people to get, say, CBD oil for whatever and you know purpose, and then the other half you would give a placebo, which looks exactly like whatever the the capsule is that you're giving the CBD oil in, or if it's a liquid, um, and you try to match that up as much as possible. And whoever's doing the study doesn't know who's getting what. So they're not, you know, that, that would introduce some bias about some of the effects. And then you follow them for a certain period of time. And whatever aspect of that that you're looking at, that you're trying to study, whether it's an intervention to try to uh, treat or improve or prevent something, uh, a condition, you would have pre-specified things that you would look at. Maybe it's a lower pain level. Maybe it's um, a uh, greater functionality of things that you can do. But they would be objective measures that you could look at. And it is much, much better to do a study that way, and it's what we call prospective. In other words, you design the study, and then you give everything to everybody, and you stick with it, um, and you study that over time moving forward. 
that's a lot better than giving somebody uh, CBD oil and then asking them after the fact that that make a big impact. It's just it takes a lot of the bias and a lot of the other things that sort of can sort of confound those those uh, that data. So there really hasn't been a whole lot of CBD oil studies head-to-head with placebo or with another medication. You could do that, too. Um, of course, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, particularly with chronic pain or chronic diseases um, that cause a lot of chronic pain that it improves that pain level. Part of the part of the problem with that is, you know, one of the other things that you do in a placebo-controlled uh, trial, double-blind placebo-controlled trial, is that you um, you standardize the amount that they get of of the substance or the medication, and depending on where you get your CBD oil, there's wide variations in that, and it hasn't been really standardized about what's you know who's got the best uh, the best um, concentration of things. Same thing with medicinal marijuana. There's just not a whole lot of studies out there. There are some. Uh, I mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago that UMMC was one of the uh, few uh, places in the nation has done some intervention trials using medicinal marijuana or THC for intractable seizures in children, and actually had some really good preliminary results. And we were, uh, you know, we were just discussing this at a larger meeting about uh, here at, at uh, medical center about uh, really planning and, and uh, particularly with the way that marijuana is going to really get the good data on that. So. I would be a little careful with that. There's certainly a lot of claims. A lot of people say, yeah, it helped me. But again, that's a one-person deal. It doesn't necessarily equate to how it's going to react. It's, it's going to, you know, um, help you. And every, every homeopathic or natural remedy has the potential to interact with other medications. Um, the best thing is to contact your pharmacist. There's a couple of databases that have uh, that you can pull from that do where you can actually plug in the medications and plug in uh, the natural things that you're taking, including CBD oil, and you can at least get some some data, some known data about that, about some of the potential interactions. But I'm glad you brought that up because it's that is something that we you know we ask about, and sometimes things that you can get over the counter or uh, natural things that you take, um, even you know certain teas because of the substances that are in them might interact with other medications. So you always need to be a little bit careful about that and make sure when your physician's office asks for those other things you might be taking, tell them about those over-the-counter medications, even if it's Tylenol or Advil or uh, all those different things. Maybe it's a Benadryl that you use to go to sleep. All of that can have potential interactions, including some of the things you take like that. So um, not prime time. Uh, we need more studies in CBD oil that are standardized that really look at it as it relates to other things to see what the potential is. That's how we learn more about how to treat various things. Well, like I said, i got a family member that is totally brainwashed that CBD oil is a miracle cure-all. And uh, she said, well, that's all natural. And I said, well, you know what, poison oak and poison ivy is all natural, <laughs> but you, want to, you don't want to wallow in it or ingest it. And, uh, and and then, like you said before, the dosage is not, it varies from standard, I mean, from manufacturer product to product. It hadn't been standardized. At least if you go to the cabin and get some aspirin, you know it's 325 milligrams. Right. You know, I right. mean, but, uh, but, uh, but thank you so much. It's been very informative. You have a good day.
You too, David. Thank you for calling. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning trying to answer your questions or point you in the right direction at least of uh, anything that you might want to ask about that's related to your health care or the health care of somebody near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can always email us. We do uh, read those emails and try to get back to you. We also, if you uh, give us permission, we can share that to our larger audience if uh, we think that that's uh, appropriate. The um, email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. You know, dementia is probably one of the biggest things that most patients, particularly if you're older, over the age of 65, that um, they really are concerned about. How can I, you know, prevent this? Um, how can I prevent a, a decline in my thinking and my memory? And it does. It's a big issue. It affects millions of older people, um, and we're looking to, you know, have in, an increase in that by 2060. About uh, it's going to triple. And if you think about all the downstream effects of that too to the healthcare system, it is huge. And uh, in caring for people who have dementia appropriately, the effects that it has on their families. So there's a lot of interest in how can we prevent that. There's no known cure for dementia, but we do know that some behavioral changes may reduce that risk. So there was a recent study of over 60,000 participants, and they were all over age 65 years uh, or older and did not already have a dementia diagnosis. And what they did is they looked at them, uh, gathered data between January of 2009 and December of 2012. They tracked them really up to the end of December 2013 and continued the data analysis um, uh, this past year. So uh, the you know the 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 median, the sort of the the mean age was 73 years old. And after about a 42 month follow up, they looked at who developed dementia and who didn't. And what they found was very interesting. Uh, about 6% of the participants of those 60,000 did develop dementia. And they split the participants into four different groups according to how active they were. So they were either inactive, insufficiently active, active and highly active, and they define that very tightly about the amount of exercise that they had. And it could be a, a varied amount of things. So if you look at those who were, you know, even insufficiently active, but they were a little bit active, they had about a 10% reduced risk of developing dementia compared with that inactive group. And then if you, as you increase the level of activity, the active participants had a 20% reduced risk, which is pretty significant, while the highly active participants had a, a 28% reduction in risk. So very exciting. You know, a lot of the, we don't really know the causes of that, a lot of dementia.
dementia is caused by vascular changes in the brain, in other words, changes to the arteries that supply blood to the brain. So we do know that things like hypertension and diabetes can increase your risk, risk of dementia as you get older, uh, anything that damages those over time. But, uh, you know, we talked about randomized control studies. This is an observational study, which usually is a type of study to try to pick up if there's a benefit or a risk from something, uh, particularly as it relates to physical activity. So perfect perfect study choice for that. Uh, but you can't really interpret that, okay, this was a causal thing, or maybe there was something else in those individuals who were more active that also protected them. But we do think that that increases in activity, and this could be anything as simple as light walking, can have a lot of beneficial effects to blood vessels. It increases the body's natural substances that help keep those blood vessels clean, and uh, it can uh, decrease the amount of plaque in inside of blood vessels over time if you do it repetitively. So something to think about. Uh, certainly in Mississippi, we got lots of opportunities to get out and get moving. I intend to do that this week, uh, actually this afternoon. So um, just uh, you know, one more positive thing, if you want to, even if you're older, uh, it's never too late to start doing something. Uh, one of my patients uh, saw yesterday, he's 87, very active individual and uh, just keeps on going uh, and has got a lot of goals uh, for himself and his family. So uh, that's, that's my encouragement is if you... You know, if you think, well, I'm 70, I can't really do anything, uh, there's always time to, to improve your health and try to do the things that can keep you healthy. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you have a question about the health of yourself or someone else in your family, you can give us a call this morning, and we'll try to answer those questions appropriately. Um, what about exercise and diabetes? What can you do if you have diabetes? Since we're sort of talking about exercise a little bit this morning. So there are some things, if you go to the, the, uh, the ADA, the American Diabetic Association website, you'll see different recommendations for both the prevention of diabetes and if you have diabetes, what they recommend. Um, Muscles have a lot to do with both the treatment, muscle mass, of the treatment of diabetes and its prevention. And our muscles, uh, particularly the larger group muscles, so like the larger muscles in your, uh, in your legs and in your torso, those can really suck up a lot of glucose and they can help mobilize a lot of the glucose. So there's, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in this. And if you'll notice on the guidelines, they want you to have regular activity, regular aerobic activity. And uh, most of the time, if you can get 30 minutes to an hour of aerobic activity at least five days a week, five to six days a week, that's one of the biggest things to both treat diabetes and to prevent it. But another thing that you can do is to build up muscle mass. And uh, light weights are really important from a number of reasons, but when you build up those muscles, you're giving more of that muscle mass that can help modulate uh, some of those uh, negative, uh, you know, uh, things that happen at the at the molecular level with uh, with the uptake of of glucose into your muscles and other tissues in your body. So, you know, if you think about it, as we age, for most people, there's a decrease in physical activity. 
And that plays a big role in the increased prevalence and in, in how how often we see type 2 diabetes in particular and muscle muscle wasting. So this, there tends to be this uh, observation that it's, it's uh, um, basically uh, sort of go hand in hand. But there's a lot of benefits of physical activity, particularly if you're a diabetic. And I tell people all the time, you know, if you want to improve your diabetes and you're not physically active right now, that's a, a it is, you know, certainly difficult. Don't want it for a lot of people. It is a little bit difficult to do that, but it has huge benefits. And in the, particularly in the prevention of diabetes, if you're inactive and then you get physical activity, uh, it can be just as powerful as taking a medication like metformin. Uh, so consult your doctor about that and say, hey, would it be a good idea for me to have a regimented exercise program? They may send you to somebody, um, particularly if you have diabetes, it's always a good idea to run that by them and per, even perhaps a nutritionist just try to see if you can change certain things. Um, but that's always a good idea to try to explore that and see if that can be beneficial to you. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you uh, this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Mikey from Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Thank you for calling. Hey, thank you so much again for taking another of my calls, Dr. Jimmy. Um, sure. Now this, you know, I've got a. I'm, I'm a medical naive, of course, um, uh, but um, I'm also somebody who survived a, a pretty devastating. Um, accident involving an outboard motor over half of my life ago. So I'm currently dealing with, um, uh, you know, arthritic sorts of things. But people seem to be amazed at how um, well I'm doing with it. Of course, there's a bunch of times when it ain't so much fun, you know, like when the barometric (laughs) pressure, the barometric pressure seems to be the thing that really kicks my, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, And so I deal with it. But um, I'm at, my question is, distribution of body fluids. I've found that even if I'm just sitting, you know, like when, when I've just been doing and listening to the show, and um, uh, I had, you know, spinal injuries and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a wearing blender kind of a thing <laughs> mm-hmm. when that happens to you. Um, uh, but... If I'm even just sitting around and doing what I call the wiggle exercises and or, and or that used to be called isometric exercises or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that they help me immensely. Um, uh, it's not that I can't, I mean, I do whatever I have to do, keeping warm for, you know, and, and particular portions of body, of course, is important. But um, in, in the morning, I found that um, if I just lift my legs before I get up, you know, pull my knees up to my chest, and then um, with the blanket still on me, raise my legs, that, that, that I've noticed a difference in the varicosity of my lower extremities Yeah, from doing yeah. that. You know, um, and that, like I said, the, the distribution of fluids, and it seems that, that whatever I do, whether it is sitting on the couch and just letting my head fall back and then and let it rest for a minute or two and then move it around, and I hear all this cracking and creaking, <laughs> but it seems to feel better and work better afterwards. So is it the distribution of the fluids in the body that makes so, a difference? 
Yeah, so so that brings up a lot of things of what we know about osteoarthritis, particularly if it's related to well, really for, from any cause, and not not just related from a former injury. Um, we know that any type of movement, and it doesn't have, again, they can be as simple as what you're describing. It doesn't have to be fancy, but doing something every day that helps to do a, a couple of things. Number one, um, it does help to somehow modulate the fluid within joints. So it's not like a redistribution necessarily, but there are chondrocytes that, that, in, that in synovial tissues that make, uh, sorry, synovial tissues that make that uh, sort of lubrication for joints to help them move. And if you don't move them, if you become inactive, uh, you have the potential to have uh, calcium develop in those joints, and they, you can actually have a frozen joint, so you can lose mobility and have more pain. Um, what you described is what is common in patients to say, you know, I find that if I just move, I have these things that I do, and if I move through those uh, with range of motion exercises, they don't have to be load-bearing exercises, it actually helps them with both mobility and the pain. So the pain can decrease through increased movement. It may be a little bit painful when you start off, but um, so it's not really a mobilization of, mobilization of fluids. Now, it is um, helping with fluids, particularly in your lower extremities, with those movements of your legs. It's not in the joints themselves, but uh, you know, you mentioned varicose veins. Our veins work with uh, valves, so they have valves along the length of them, and when you, ex it, they don't really, they don't really have, they have a very low pressure system inside of them, uh, with the, with the blood. So in order to get it back to the heart appropriately, they're positioned in between large muscle groups. So it's not just the ones on the surface, but the deep veins, and as we move around that helps to pump that blood back up. So it's not the heart that's really driving that a lot at that point. It's all the movement that we have. So that makes perfect sense, particularly if you're just doing those leg exercises, even if it's isotonic uh, movements, you're compressing those veins and helping pump that blood back up. And a little bit of movement or, well, if we think of it the other way, inactivity and having your legs down for long periods of time, uh, you know, like prolonged standing or prolonged st sitting, uh, if you think about it, most people will have a little bit more swelling, uh, particularly as you get older in those lower extremities with that. So moving them around is also another reason why we have those squeezers. If you ever had elective surgery and been in the hospital for something, you know that they put those squeezers on your legs to help mobilize that fluid back up because you're not going to be moving uh, if you're sitting in a hospital bed or if you're in the, um, uh, getting an operation for a prolonged period of time. So movement does help both for arthritis and for other things. So that's a, just another testimony and uh, a little bit of the science of what we know at least behind that. So thank you, Mikey. That was good. So you're an expert after all. <laughs> I'm chosen. <laughs> all right. You take care, Mikey, uh, and listen, have a good uh, holiday. So, Go ahead. So it's okay to look silly, right? Oh, definitely. You definitely need to look silly <laughs> while you're doing it. It doesn't count. I mean, I don't you know, it's like, I mean, and, and uh, just go with it. I mean, you know, if we were still hanging from the trees, it, it might be different. But I don't think I'm going to be doing that much again. <laughs> yeah, you might want to pass on that. <laughs> All right. Thank you for calling. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are a Yucca Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning uh, answering your questions. Got some great ones this morning, as usual. Really appreciate those calls. And uh, don't think that if it's something that, you know, you might think is a little off the wall, there's probably 10 other people out there that are wanting to ask the same questions. So um, if you don't get a chance to ask those questions, you can always email us. Send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. The number to call today if you'd like to ask those questions on the air is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Gail on the line. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. Uh, what's your, my what's your question, question is, is what? Okay, I am a nurse, so you know, you know, a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. I have optic neuritis, which has basically the nervous set in one of my eyes. I have a very high ANA that's been discovered and polyarthritis. Trying to get into a rheumatologist uh, down here on the coast is virtually impossible. So what are my options and what do I have? I have not been officially diagnosed with anything at this point because I can't get in to see anybody. Yeah. So a couple of things, and you're right, we don't have enough rheumatologists in the state, and particularly certain parts of the state, but I would go ahead and see if you can get a placeholder on an appointment, even if it's going to be six months from now, uh, you know, as a follow-up, because it sounds like with those symptoms, that may be somebody that that is going to be key in getting to the correct diagnosis and maybe, you know, what the treatment might be. So, you know, optic neuritis, as you mentioned, so it's a loss of vision through damage to the optic nerves that connect to the back of our eye and connects the eye to the brain. It can be from a number of things. So uh, it can be from a loss of myelin or an autoimmune process that's really damaging those nerves. And ANA, uh, anti-nuclear antibody, is one of the tests that, and I know you probably know this, Gail, but I'm just, uh, just for everybody else that's listening, you know, that's that's one of the tests that we get to help us with a diagnosis uh, of an autoimmune process. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have lupus or you have this or that. It's not that specific, but it can help with the other symptoms. And 
autoimmune processes are very frustrating for a lot of people, uh, both you know patients certainly, and then also for physicians that are trying to to get to the bottom of it, uh, just because they take some time. I would go, here's what I would do. I would go to an internal medicine doctor that's been in practice for about 20 to 30 years, if you can find them, as a second opinion. And um, I would I would really, you know, say, hey, I, I've got this. And may, it might even be beneficial to have a new person look at it that's you know, has that kind of experience. And they may can offer some insight into some of the things that it might be. Another person, if you haven't already, I, I assume because you said optic neuritis um, that you uh, have already seen an ophthalmologist, but a neuro-ophthalmologist might be somebody else that sort of crosses that gap between neurology and uh, and um, uh, ophthalmology. And there's not a whole lot of those. We do have one in Jackson, uh, several in Jackson, that Mike could could look at you and see if they could uh, provide some benefit. So you might want to get a referral to a, to a center like that, or I don't know, maybe Mobile or, or New Orleans. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.